Well, it's an honor to be here with you this morning. And if you have a Bible or a smartphone or maybe an app on your phone, if you would turn with me to Psalm 146. And as Pastor Matt mentioned, he started this series three weeks ago, walking through the Psalms. And so when he invited me to come and to open up God's word and to look at specifically, where does God mention himself as the father to the followers or as the one that seeks the outcast? I was drawn to Psalm 146. And Psalm 146 is one of the first five hallelujah Psalms that that actually close out the book of Psalms. And so it's a hallelujah Psalm because every single Psalm starts with hallelujah, praise Praise the Lord. And so this morning, I want us to see how we can praise the Lord by joining with him in his act of compassion in seeking out justice for the outcast. So now that you're all finally settled down into your seats with your pens and maybe your notebooks, I'm gonna actually ask you to stand again because I want us to worship God through this Psalm, this first of these hallelujah Psalms. So let's read together Psalm 146. This is what God's word says. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the followers, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, Zion, to all generations. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Well, how glorious is our God in all of his ways and in all of his nature. He alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is the one that created heaven and earth and he created a people that were created in his image to praise him. So the name of the Lord that is used the most in Psalm 146 is the name Jehovah. And Jehovah means a God of power, a God that is almighty. And what we see is that this almighty God is worthy of our praise. And Psalm 146 shows us that the almighty power of God is honed in to bring justice, relief, vindication, freedom, for the vulnerable, for the stranger, and for the fatherless. You see, beloved, this morning, we have a God that seeks the outcast with compassion, but also with power. And this Psalm shows us that gospel-driven justice for the poor and needy is ultimately an act of worship. So when we show compassion to the helpless and the destitute, we are showing the world, our neighbors, and the outcast that we believe that God is worthy. When we show gospel-driven justice, we are showing the world that we believe that God is worthy. And so it's not just our proclamation, but it's our justice. It's how we execute the word of God. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, the opposite of love is indifference. And so this morning, beloved, we have a God that was not indifferent to us when we were estranged from him because of our sin. We did not have a God who was indifferent to us when we were afar and destroying ourselves. No, beloved, this morning we have a God that is full of compassion and justice and that should bring us to our knees because when we were far off, he sought after us. And so this morning, I want us to see 
from Psalm 146, four ways that we respond in worship to the compassion and justice of Jehovah, to the father of the fatherless. And so compassion and justice are an act of worship. You'll see in your notes, point one. So we praise the Lord because we are not the rescuers nor the hope of the vulnerable, the stranger and the fatherless. Watchman Nee, a leader of the Chinese church in the 20th century said, everything in our service for the Lord is dependent upon his blessing. Paul says it this way to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 1, chapter three through six. He said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption for himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see, beloved, this mission to execute justice for the poor, for the needy, for the fatherless, for the widow and the stranger, it doesn't rely upon us. It relies upon God. We are not the rescuers and we are not the hope of the father, the stranger, the alien and the widow. No, God is. And so to illustrate that point, and this may come uh, as, a, as a reminder to others, I remember when Caleb, our 13-year-old, was much younger, and I would be outside cutting the grass. He would always like to bring one of those little plastic mowers and follow me around. And I remember one particular Saturday afternoon, we were cutting the grass together, and he was following me with that little plastic mower. And every time I would stop, I would look back, and he would stop. Every time I would, you know, wipe the sweat off my brow, he'd wipe the sweat off his brow. Every time I stopped to go get water, Water, he would stop and go get his water. And then we would go inside that afternoon and he looked up at his mom and he had his hands on his hips. He said, mom, daddy and I did a pretty good job on the grass today, didn't we? And, and you know, the thing was at that moment, I was so proud of my son. Why? Because he wanted to emulate what his father was doing and we got to do it together. And in the same way, beloved, this is how we work with and for God. We have a plastic mower and he's doing the work. So don't miss it. He continually invites us to be part of what he is doing because he's proud of us, he loves us, he wants to work for us, and ultimately he wants our partnership as we emulate him. So it's true worship when we realize it's not by our work, but by his work that the vulnerable, the stranger, and the fatherless are given hope and ultimate rescue. While we are called to gospel justice for caring for orphans and widows, let us take heart that we have a God that will go before us to help us, to support us. Our job is to point the vulnerable to the amazing gospel of Christ Jesus. So worldly justice driven causes, they are not the, they don't understand that God is the helper. They are driven by numbers and human success to drive back injustice. So recently I was meeting with a secular organization that, that opens up their pocketbooks in very big ways for foster care organizations. And they wanted to talk about our foster care ministry and how we're engaging local churches to get more foster families out into the foster community. And he said, you know, there's probably a whole lot more that we agree about than we disagree about. Like we may disagree about religion, but at the end of the day, we all agree that we need to do something for these children. And I said, well, well that's true but the something that we wanna do for these children may be a little bit different. You see, because we want to show the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to these children. And he said, well, well, just, just for a second, let me give you an analogy. I hear what you're saying, but really religion is like baseball. 
You may be a Yankees fan, and I may be a Red Sox fan, but that doesn't mean that we can't partner together. And when, and when you've got a child in your home that's a Red Sox fan, you can just lay aside your Yankees stuff and you can serve this Red Sox fan. Huh. I will tell you this, I looked at him, I said, Lifeline's not gonna compromise on Jesus and we're, gonna, we're not gonna compromise for money and grants on what we believe is the hope of the fatherless. You see, beloved, as Christ followers, our allegiance to the Father cannot be compared to sports teams. Our Father equips us for every good work and he nourishes our souls as we serve him. The foster child, the vulnerable child, the orphan, their greatest need is the gospel and the powerful presence of Jehovah. We are not the rescuers, but we are those who have already been rescued by God. I love what Matt Chandler, pastor of the Village Church in Dallas, Texas says. He says, to fill empty bellies, to build shelters for the homeless and to put silver and gold in the cups of beggars without concern for the eternal nature of their souls is an exercise of futility. Our hope should always be in the gospel. Beloved, we can't do anything apart from the gospel and presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why if you look again in, in verse three, the psalmist reminds us, put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. And that, so that draws us to this next point. It is foolish to trust in man because man is fallible, but it's wise to trust in God because he is limitless. Verse five and six, tell us about God. Blessed is he whose help is the hope of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord, his God. Verse six, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. The psalmist is cautioning us strongly against putting any confidence in man. In a culture that exalts those who are on stage, athletes, leaders, and people who have that little verified symbol on Twitter, right? We must be extremely cautious to place no hope in ourselves and to place no hope in others. I love what Samuel Chadwick, he was an English theologian and pastor of the 19th century said, look at this. He said, the church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to failure. A ministry that is college trained, but not spirit filled works no miracles. The church that multiplies committees and neglects prayer may be fussy, noisy, enterprising, but it labors in vain and spends its strength for naught. It is possible to excel in mechanics and fail in dynamic. There is a super abundance of machinery. What is wanting in power? To run an organization needs no God. Man can supply the energy, enterprise, and enthusiasm for things human. The real work of a church depends upon the power of the Spirit. So the only one who is worthy of our praise is the Lord. His help is immense and his help is limitless. And we cannot truly make a difference in the lives of the fatherless and the vulnerable without the power and intervention of the Holy Spirit. So be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. But then look again at verse four. It tells us another thing about man and God. Verse four, when his being man breaths apart, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plan, man's plan perishes. That brings us to, to, to be it is foolish to trust in man because man's time is fleeting, but it's wise to trust in God because he is limitless. Oh, look again at the, the ending verse in Psalm 146. It says, the Lord, he will reign, what? Forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Our God is eternal. And so when our help is the Lord, we can take it to the bank because it's limitless and it's eternal. It will never end. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. But I won't mislead you 
this morning into thinking that the work of gospel-driven justice and compassion is easy, right? Many adoptive and foster parents, if, if I had them give testimony this morning, they would give testimonies to heartache, to difficulty, to sleepless nights, and thoughts of hopelessness. You see, the vulnerable, the stranger, and the fatherless, they all live in extreme darkness. And when we take the gospel of light into the darkest places of the world, we can absolutely expect, we can take it to the bank that the adversary that we have will come against us. He will attack and there will be difficulty. These attacks are harsh and we've gotta be ready and our hope has gotta be in the Lord. There's a verse which people commonly misuse and take out of context. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure it. Many preachers and teachers will tell you that God will never give you more than you personally can handle. And beloved, I want you to know that's a lie. As a matter of fact, God will always call us to more than we can handle ourselves, yet he will always give us his abiding presence. And so you see that there in your notes. God will always give us more than we can handle ourselves. Yet he will always give us his abiding presence. Oh, you see, the gift is his power and his presence. So today I want you to know that gospel-driven justice for the fatherless, for the poor, for the needy, for the orphan, and for the foster child, it's hard work. It's hard work to care. It will push us to the outside of our comfort zones and it will always stretch us. But the promise is a way of escape. And you know what the way of escape is? The presence of our God. You wanna join where God is working? Then join in causes of gospel justice for the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to be hard. It will bring you to your knees. It will bring sleepless nights, but he will bring his sweet, sweet presence. I love when another Psalm says, Psalm 46. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though it waters and roars and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Oh, but listen to verse seven. But the Lord of hosts, he is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So am I telling you this morning that foster care, orphan care, adoption, gospel-driven justice is easy? Oh, absolutely not. But what I am telling you is that the ever-present help of God will be yours when you join in his work. I love what Paul David Tripp says. He says, you are tempted to think that because you're God's child, your life should be easier, more predictable, and definitely more comfortable. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Instead, it reveals that struggles are a part of God's plan for you. This means that if you're God's child, you must never allow yourself to think that the hard things you are now going through is the failure of God's character, promises, power, or plan. You must not allow yourself to think that God has turned his back on you. You must not allow yourself to begin to buy into the possibility that God is not as trustworthy as you thought him to be. You must not let yourself do any of these things because when you begin to doubt God's goodness, you quit going to him for help. You see, you don't run to help to those characters that you have come to doubt. 
God has chosen to let you live in this fallen world because he plans to employ the difficulties of it. Don't miss that. He plans to employ the difficulties of it to continue and to complete his work in you. This means those moments of difficulty are not an interruption of his plan or the failure of his plan, but rather an important part of his plan. So adoptive parent, foster parent who's in this room or family that's going through that process to become a foster parent or adoptive parent, I want you to know this morning, you have an advocate and his name is the powerful name of Jehovah, our God. Praise the Lord. He is our help. And we are called to do justice but we're not called to do it by ourselves. I love what George Mueller, the German missionary to England's orphan said. He said, faith does not operate in the realm of possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. So recently uh, I joined a gym and I'm a little bit of a cheapskate. So I made sure that I joined when there were no joining fees. And uh, I've been known to squeeze every last little bit out of a turnip. And so I wanted to see what all the perks were to join. And I had told Ashley, you know, I may not do this, but I'm going to stay through the whole trial period and I'm going to get every single benefit that I can possibly get out of it. And one of the benefits was some time with a personal trainer. And I said, I'm going to take that. And part of the benefit was that personal trainer was going to give you a personal fitness plan. And so I met with this personal trainer and I was, I was really excited and, and he comes up and he looks at me and he says, you don't work out much, do you? I was like, not a whole lot. And he goes, well, I, I think you just need to go uh, do some body weight stuff. Like you just need to do some push-ups and some sit-ups and, and that kind of thing. And I, I looked at him, I said, well, well I, I want a personal workout plan. Like I want to know how to use all those weights and all those machines. He goes, you don't need it. Well, me being the cheapskate, I was like, no, I, I gotta get that plan, right? Because if I don't get that plan now, I'll never have a plan. And if I don't, jo- if, like, if I you know, go ahead and stop paying for this or never pay for it, I'll never have the plan. So I went back to the guy that signed me up and I said, hey, I, I didn't get a workout plan. He just told me to do some pushups or sit-ups. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. That's not the way we operate here. I'll get you a personal plan. And he asked me, do you wanna go to the same trainer or do you want a different trainer? I said, let me get back to you. So I went to my very wise wife and I gave her this choice and she says, go with a different trainer 100%. I'm a little bit more stubborn. And you know, I'd sown gospel seeds with this guy when I was talking to him and I just didn't want him to see me and think, you know, I was cheating on him or anything. So I said, no, no, sign me back up with the same personal trainer. My wise wife was right. So an hour and a half later, I, I kid you not, and he was not through with the workout, I collapsed. He looked at me and he said, you're pale. I said, I need something like orange juice, but I'm gonna also need somebody to carry me down. I'm telling you, at one point during the hour and a half workout, I had just squatted a large elementary school child. And as I was done with that, he was putting more weight on the bar. And I was thinking, I ain't gonna do this. But here's the truth of the matter. Deshaun worked me out to the point that I literally collapsed, right? He handed me a sheet of paper in my personal plan. And you know what I learned out? That plan, I had done every workout that morning for a week. I had done a week's worth of workouts. No wonder I collapsed. The point is many times we feel like the Lord is doing the same thing to us. He's just throwing everything out to us. He's giving us everything. He's pulling out the kitchen sink, every weight that could possibly happen, every workout that we could go through. And we feel like we're gonna collapse. We may see the work of gospel-driven justice is too hard and too messy. You, know, you may hear this story and go, well, I'm not gonna go to a personal trainer. And why would I get involved in something that's hard? But I want you to know, dear Christ follower, take heart. Because our sweet Jesus is not like that trainer. He will support us and he will help lift that weight. And he will be with us every step of the way. So that brings us to our second point. Compassion and justice are an act of worship, 
So we praise the Lord because he executes justice for the vulnerable, for the stranger, and for the fatherless. We see in verses seven through nine, the the list of folks that that Jesus executes justice for, that God, Jehovah the powerful, executes justice for. It says, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. We have a God of justice. We have a God that seeks the vulnerable and the stranger. And we have a God who is the father to the fatherless. The justice of our God is spellbounding and this should drive us to worship. I love what what Luke chapter four says. Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth into the synagogue and he reads a passage that would have been very extremely recognizable to the folks at the synagogue that day. He reads a passage from Isaiah, or actually quotes a passage from Isaiah 61, one through two. The passage was a familiar and hopeful passage. But then he does this. He sits down, he looks at the synagogue leaders and says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what he said from Luke chapter four, 18 through 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so this morning, I wanna see there are three specific groups that Jesus mentions that also encapsulates this list that we see in Psalm 146. So first, Jesus came to bring liberty to the captives. We have a God that fights for the oppressed, that sustains the desolate and sets free those in bondage. It grieves the heart of God when his image bearers are held captive by foreign powers, slave owners, or evil governments. It pains the heart of God for men and women to be mastered by sin, including the captivity of alcohol, drugs, pornography, perverse sexuality, and gluttony. And all of this causes us to grieve and mourn as well, but also be spurned to action. William Wilberforce, who was the emancipator of slaves in England in the late 1700s and early 1800s, he said this, he said, if to be freely alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, then I am one of the most incurable fanatics fanatics ever permitted to be at large. Wilberforce's hope was in the gospel. And so he was willing to be labeled a fanatic when executing gospel-based justice. We must preach the gospel and show gospel justice to the captives so that people can be released, not only from physical captivity, but also from the captivity and the bondage of sin into the arms of our loving, precious, glorious God. Romans 6, 22 through 23. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have a God that brings justice to the captives. And this leads us to the second act of justice that Jesus came to bring, healing for the sick and the blind. You see this morning, Jesus is not indifferent to physical disability and disease. There are those in our midst that I am sure they're going through cancer, pain, and incurable disease. There are orphans around the world that need to be adopted who are blind, deaf, maybe have Down syndrome or Turner syndrome or another ailment. We need to advocate for them passionately. Recently, I was in the country of India and we were asked to visit this little girl who was blind in one eye in order to advocate for her. 
And we had just recently given her file to a family that was praying over adopting this little girl. And, and our mission was to find out as much about her and to take pictures of her and to send them back to this family. And while we were in this orphanage, the orphanage director said, we, we don't believe that any family will really ever adopt her. Why would someone want a child that is blind in one eye? And we said, well, we're gonna pray and we're gonna advocate for this little girl. And so we took some pictures and uh, we sent those pictures back to the United States. And little did we know at that very moment, the Lord woke this family up in the middle of the night. The husband looked over at the wife and he said, that's our little girl. She looks over at her phone and has a bunch of pictures from where we've just taken pictures of this little girl. And so we want you to know this morning, I want you to know this morning that our God is passionate about healing the sick. He's passionate about advocating for the weak. He's passionate for advocating for those children and for you who has difficulty, who has disease, who has ailments. But we have a God that is also very passionate about healing us from spiritual blindness. Acts 26, 18, open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and for the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Second Corinthians four, verses four through six. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, like light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts and to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Oh, beloved, our Jesus has come to heal the sick, but he has also come to heal those that are blind spiritually. And so let's proclaim his name. We have a God that brings healing. And that brings us to the third act of justice that Jesus came to bring, validation for the oppressed. Our God is the husband to the widow he is the father to the fatherless. He validates those who are marginalized, weak, and oppressed. Our God shows compassion, empathy, and action for those who are powerless and abused. This includes caring for the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the alien. Yet our God is also about liberating people from the oppression and bondage of sin. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Oh, beloved, let us praise the Lord because he executes justice for the vulnerable, the stranger, the fatherless, and those who are sinfully, sinfully sick. And that brings us to the fourth, third way that we praise the Lord. We praise the Lord because he invites us to participate with him in reflecting his glory to the vulnerable, the stranger, and the fatherless. The call of the Bible is very strong to care for the weak, to care for the desolate, to care for the fatherless, to care for the widow. The, the Old Testament is, is full of commands to God's people to care for the vulnerable, the weak, the fatherless, the stranger. And the New Testament, James makes it abundantly clear in James 1.27, that for new covenant believers, they are not to ignore the orphan or the widow. James says religion is pure and undefiled, but for God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and affliction and to keep oneself unstained from this world. Many people think that orphan care is, is just for a select few. It's just for some people. 
My dear friend, Dr. Rick Morton likes to say, if a pastor came and preached James 1.27 and he looked at the congregation and he said, James 1.27, when it talks about purity, that's just for a select few of you. The rest of you can go live however in the world you want to. This is just for some people. We would call that pastor a heretic. Yet we look at the other side of James 1.27 and it says that we are to execute and to visit and to care for the fatherless. And we go, that's for some people. Maybe if we're up in age, we say that's for young people. Maybe if we're young in age, we say that's for older people. We always have an excuse. But the truth of the matter is we are to get engaged. And I love that Psalm 146 verse eight, right? When, when, Jesus, when, when God is saying all these people, these are who he executes justice for, what does it say? It says the Lord loves the righteous. Right in the middle of the list, There we are, the righteous, those that have been redeemed, the follower of God that's loved by God and supported by God is asked in this Psalm to participate in reflecting the glory of God. We are called to reflect the glory of God in the way we do justice. Kay Arthur of Precept Ministries defines the call to reflect the glory of God in such a profound way. She says this, we are to live in such a way as to give all creation a correct opinion or estimate as to who God is. The Apostle Paul says this to the church of Corinth. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So beloved, we are called to join the work of the Lord in bringing liberty to the captives, healing to the sick and blind and bringing validation to the orphan, the widow, the alien. Luke 4, 18 through 19 which we looked at earlier where Jesus was was speaking and quoting out of Isaiah 61. It says, it was not just a pronouncement of Jesus as the Messiah, but it was an outline of his mission for the church. He gave that mission to us as his redeemed people. But this morning, I want us to see that when we join Jesus, when we enjoy God in gospel-driven justice, there's two common mistakes that we can make. The first is limiting poverty to the physical. We can limit poverty to the physical. Gospel-driven justice is just not, is not just about physical, it's about spiritual justice. Revelation 3, 17 through 18, it says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see You see, beloved, the arrogant, self-satisfied, overly indulgent American is just as utterly poverty-stricken and miserable without the Lord and in the eyes of our Lord as are the physically poor. And so we must preach the gospel. Zacchaeus had amassed the world's riches. Yet in Luke 19, 2, when he meets Jesus, when he comes face to face with Jesus, he knew he was spiritually bankrupt. And he said, everything that I have, I sell, I surrender everything that I may follow the Lord Jesus. Jesus came to free those in bondage. I've traveled all around the world. I've been to Ethiopia and I've been into slums in Ethiopia. I've been into the the, the bush in Ethiopia. And I've met men and women who didn't have two nickels to rub together, but they had the glory of Christ Jesus on their lips and they were praising him in such adoration. And they were caring for orphans in their distress right there without much resource, but the praise and the glory of God. You see the poverty we are called to alleviate is not just physical but it's spiritual in nature. So let us not just look at poverty as those who are poor, but those who are without Christ. And that brings us to the second mistake we make in the mission, ignoring physical and social poverty. We can't sit back and think that we're following Jesus when we feel no compassion 
and take no action on behalf of people who are materially in poverty, those who are hungry, those who are captured unjustly behind iron bars, those who are physically afflicted with disease like blindness, those who are oppressed by human power brokers and children separated at the US-Mexico border. We can't look back and not have compassion as God's people if the gospel of Jesus Christ is beating in our chest. Isaiah 58:10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. James 2:14 through 18. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. First John 3, 17 through 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not just love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We cannot ignore the physically poor. Our theology will affect our biography. Our theology will affect our biography. What will people say about us? What we believe about God will affect the way we live, the way we act, and the way we worship. A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. The truth of the matter is we don't have a shortage today of teaching the word of God. We have a shortage of application and mobilization. We need not only talk the talk, but begin walking out justice for the physically and socially poor. So that brings us to our last point. Compassion and justice are an act of worship. So number four, we praise the Lord because his gospel is the power of God for salvation to the vulnerable, the stranger, the fatherless, and the world. Psalm 146, verse 10, it ends this way. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There is life in no one but the God of Jacob. Justice must never be divorced from gospel proclamation. Our homes, our neighborhoods, our pocketbooks, and our influence will never make an everlasting impact in the hearts, lives of the fatherless and the vulnerable. But the gospel, oh, the gospel will make an everlasting impact. After Jesus quoted from Isaiah 61 in Luke 4, 18 through 19, we see Luke's gospel report what those in the synagogue wanted to do to Jesus. It says in verse 28 and 29, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and they brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down off the cliff. Jesus had been saying to them, the kingdom I I am proclaiming is ethnically different than what you think. Your chosen place as Israel has not produced humility and compassion, but pride and scorn. Jesus was saying to them, I'm the end of ethnocentrism. Look to me, learn from me, he says. I have come to redeem a people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, and from every people group. Jesus was telling his Jewish hometown audience, woe to you for the failure to see justice and mercy. God is a part of this zeal to gather a people and a king, to make a kingdom that will not end. Beloved, our justice It's not about just giving a nice, warm, comfy home to orphans and widows. It's not just about putting food in the belly of the hungry. It's not just about giving money to the poor. Our gospel is what drives our justice. 
And we must proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we do gospel-driven justice around the world, when we do gospel-driven justice in neighborhoods that don't look like us, we are proclaiming the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is not a white kingdom and it's not a Jewish kingdom. It's not an European gospel, an American gospel, an Asian gospel. It is a worldwide gospel. And we must proclaim this gospel. Adoption was never plan B for God, but it was always plan A as he wanted to adopt a multi-ethnic people for himself. And so that leads us to our application. So Brook Hills, how can we join the father to the fatherless? Number one, pray. Pray knowing that our father is the true hope. I love what Micah 7, 5 through 7 says. It says, put no trust in your neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. And my God will hear me. He hears us when we pray. And if we truly believe that we are not the rescuers nor the hope of the the stranger, the alien, the orphan or the widow, then we must pray to a God. We must pray to God. Jeremiah, I love what Jeremiah says, chapter 17, verses five through 10. He says, thus says the Lord, cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and he is not anxious to the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But I, the Lord, Yahweh, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So Brook Hills, we must be stirred to prayer. We must pray to the father of the fatherless on behalf of the orphan, the vulnerable child, and the foster child. He is their hope and he is their sustenance. And he is the one from which we should take our cues. What could happen in our neighborhood, our city, our state, our nation, and our world if we sought the face of God in prayer as much as we fretted or made plans on our own? So I wanna encourage you five ways that you can begin today to pray for justice for the orphan and the fatherless. Number one, Operation World. I believe back here in the bookstore, we still have copies of Operation World. If you don't, there's an online version and there's a book form. You can go online and get Operation World. It gives you a way to pray for nations around the world. And as you're praying for nations, I want to let you know that every nation around the world has vulnerable children and has the fatherless and has the poor and the needy and needs justice. Start praying for justice for the nations. Number two, maybe for your children, window to the world. It's a companion to Operation World and and it's something you can read at family worship or times with your children and help them to see ways that they can start to pray for justice, God-driven, gospel-driven justice around the world. Number three, the Joshua Project app or online gives you a way to pray for unreached people groups. And I will tell you, I've seen the ways that people are caring for justice and have gospel-driven justice are actually affecting 
the cause of the gospel. When we care in gospel-driven ways, we have opportunities to have gospel proclamation. And so pray that we would have gospel-driven justice among the unreached. Number four, the Voice of, Voice of Martyrs app. It's called Pray Today. And they give you great ways to pray for justice around the world. And then number five is a completely shameless plug. But Lifeline, we do a, a daily podcast. And on Mondays, I'm not asking you to listen to the whole thing, but on Mondays, we do a call to prayer and we give specific ways that you can be praying for the fatherless, that you can be praying for justice around the world. And that's called The Defender Podcast. Make sure you put that the, you're gonna find some things you don't want. So The Defender Podcast. So think about this. There are probably a lot of people today praying for our children, parents, grandparents, other family members, friends. But what about the orphan? What about that child in foster care? Our Father wants us to pray for them. So beloved, let's start praying today for the vulnerable child. Let's work like it depends on us and pray knowing that it depends upon the Father. And that brings us to the second way that we can join the Father to the fatherless. Give of our time, talents, treasure to the work that the Lord is doing. I was in India in November and I met a dear brother. His name is Rufus and he is from Chennai, India. Rufus was trained in some of the best schools in Asia. He has a finance degree and he is one of the smartest men that I've ever met. He got a job offer to be the executive vice president of one of the world's largest banks in Dubai. And he was working there with his family. And then he started to see in the news where ministries like Compassion were leaving India. And he saw where others were having such a hard time getting visas to go into India that, that many Christians were having a hard time going into India. And so being an Indian himself, he was driven to his knees. He quit his job. He moved back to his hometown and he started praying about what the Lord would have him do. And I'm telling you today, my brother is traveling up to North India doing justice for gospel-driven purposes, for the poor, for the needy, for the fatherless, for the orphan. He's going into work sites in Chennai where Northern India, which is one of the most largest groups of unreached people groups, and he's ministering to their children and sharing the gospel. He's now using his time, talent, and treasure for the spread of the gospel to orphans within unreached people groups. And his prayer is that these children will come to the saving grace of Christ and will in turn go and make the gospel known. There's so many places and ways that we can begin to give. But specifically this morning, I wanna encourage you to give to the church at Brook Hills. We need to give to our faith family. We need to put money in the storehouse. Why? Because our church is about gospel-driven purposes. Our church is investing in gospel-driven purposes. And so as a ministry who benefits from the giving of the church at Brook Hills, I wanna encourage you today to give and to give generously to the work of our church, to the cause of gospel-driven justice. That brings us to the third point or the third way that we can join the father to the fatherless. Speak out for the voiceless and serve wholeheartedly the cause of gospel-driven justice around you. You see, we must use our voice to speak out for the voiceless. Immigration, immigration policy along the US and Mexican border didn't change because victimized children were crying out. Why did it change? It changed because those who had a voice spoke out. Functionally speaking, what do your closest relationships look like? Are you investing time with people who look differently than you are or who haven't had the opportunities that you have? Are you investing parts of your life in justice and gospel proclamation through your action? Do your politics, do our politics inform the way we do justice? Or does the word of God inform the way we do justice? 
Beloved, join the father to the fatherless by serving children in foster care, orphans from around the world and families who have lost their children to foster care. The Lord will make a difference with our faithfulness if we will just step out. So maybe today you're going, I'm not called to foster and I'm not called to adopt. God bless you that you know that. That's good. Not everyone is called to foster or adopt, but you are called to do something. So maybe you're a restaurant owner today. Could you provide discounted meals to foster families who are fostering in our church family? Maybe today you're, you're a hairdresser. Would you be willing to give discounted haircuts and discounting stylings to kids that are in foster care? Maybe today you're a stay-at-home mom. Would you maybe cook and wrap around with our rap ministry here at Brook Hills? You see today in the lobby, there are ways that you can start to get engaged with our faith family in caring for the hope of the, the gospel to go to the vulnerable, to the fatherless and to the orphan. And nobody's gonna ask you to sign up to be a foster parent and nobody's gonna ask you to sign up to adopt, but there are ways that you can get engaged and there are ways that you can get involved. One of the things, one of the ministries that I am so proud of is our Families Count ministry at Lifeline. And the reason I am is because we have taken this ministry and we've put it into the local church. We, we had this belief that we needed to reach out to families that had lost their kids to the state, right? And, and all the state was doing was just trying to rehab them, but we wanted to preach the gospel to them. Well, we knew as a ministry, if we did these classes, their hope would be in us. So we started praying and we said, we're gonna equip churches to start to care for these families that have lost their kids. And we called it Families Count. And one of the sweet families that ended up going to a Families Count, their testimony was they went to this church in Pell City, Alabama, just because they wanna get their kids back. Their marriage was on the rocks, it was on the shambles. But one of the reasons they went is they thought if they could just get their kids back, they could have their kids back in the home. And they actually, their plan was they're just gonna get divorced. They go to this church, DHR actually agreed to bring their kids to the church for family night supper so that they could all have their visitation there. They're visiting their kids. Their kids went to Wednesday night activities. Their nine-year-old comes to saving faith in Christ. The next week at family night supper for the visitation with her mom, she looks up at her mom and says, mom, this church has done things for us that, that no one's ever done. But I really think it's not this church. I think it's Jesus. Mom, what are you and dad gonna do about Jesus? And this church started to wrap around this family. This woman came to saving faith in Christ. Her husband came to saving faith in Christ. Their marriage was reconciled. Their kids, all their kids came to saving faith in Christ. Then you know what happened? They started telling it about to their families. All of a sudden, right, talk about a membership drive. There were like 20 people from this family that are coming to this church because they're coming to faith in Christ. Here's the point. We've got to serve wholeheartedly the cause of gospel-driven justice because the hope is in the gospel. And so we serve making the gospel known. But that brings us to the fourth way that we can join the father to the fatherless. Go, go to all nations, spreading the beautiful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 6, one through two, Paul says this, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Beloved, we live in a time of sweet, sweet grace and patience. God is withholding his judgment and offering sweet mercy to our rebellious hearts. Oh, but this day of salvation will not last forever but will only last for a time that the Father has appointed. So when the day of salvation is over, then the day of vengeance will arrive. So beloved, there is 
urgency to preach the gospel and to proclaim the kingdom to those who are perishing. There is urgency in our mission to manifest the gospel to the 153 million orphans and vulnerable children. Let this passage, Psalm 146, wash over us because there is great hope for his grace. This passage should also hearken us to mission to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So this morning, maybe you don't have the resources to travel to the, but I wanna tell you the nations are at our doorstep. They're in our neighborhoods, they're in our supermarkets, they're on our college campuses, Sanford, Montevallo, UAB. The nations are here. So even if you don't have the money to go there, be faithful to proclaim the gospel here. Also, Lifeline, we, we host a kids camp annually in Birmingham where we advocate for these children and give them a taste of the gospel. And we would invite you to participate. You see, as our father's children, we know we've been given a task. We have been given a great commission. We have future family members that need to be, need to heard, hear the gospel, and they're in the nations. And our father has said, go. And so we go. So the heart of the ministry that I serve Lifeline is to proclaim the gospel to the nations through care, compassion, rescue, and discipleship of the fatherless. So let's pray that this gospel will always be central in everything that we do. Let's pray that the Lord will continue to open doors for his name to be proclaimed, not only here in the US, but also in the streets of India, to the institutions of China, to the, to the slums in Ethiopia, as well as to every hamlet, village, tribe, tongue, and nation of this world. Praise the Lord for he is worthy.